Hello everyone, I'm Louise and I'm Mary Kay and together we are Novel Gazing, the podcast that talks all about literary fiction. We are recording today's show on June the 23rd and I would give you some kind of pithy news fact of the day but everything is crazy and nothing makes sense (laughs) so I guess maybe that's our fact of the day, I don't know. It's our fact of 2020. Yes, it is bananas. The world is broken. (laughs) It's just what it is. Uh, so on today's show, we are going to talk about current affairs and news from the world of literary fiction. We're going to have a bit of stuff about literary fiction comics, both fiction and non-fiction, which yeah. I, yeah, I'm super excited about that. And we will be sharing our current reads. If you like what you hear, and we really hope that you do, uh, we'd love a review and a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, it helps other people find us. Like, it helps a lot if you review us. Or even if you just rate us. If you're like, I don't want to write anything, I'm just going to give some stars. We appreciate that as well. It's all Also good. tell two friends. <laughs> yeah. All right, so, but before all of that, let's hear from one of our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Underlined. Haven't read a Natasha Preston thriller yet? We dare you to try. She's known for her line of chilling young adult suspense novels like The Cellar and The Fear. The New York Times and USA Today bestselling author excels at putting fear into the hearts of her readers. So her newest book titled The Dare is about five friends whose senior prank goes very, very wrong. This is the perfect graduation season read for thriller fans who can handle a good scare. The Dare is now available wherever books are sold. You can learn more about it at getunderlined.com. So again, this young adult thriller is about five friends with a prank that goes wrong. There are dark secrets, a twisty plot, and creepy I know what you did last summer vibes. So if you, you know, it's graduation season, you want to revel in that, but like make it scary. You know what I mean? Pick up The Dare by Natasha Preston. And thanks again to Underline for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student. But how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought-provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic-focused, and it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low-threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so before we get into our news and current affairs section, I wanted to tell y'all about um, a giveaway that we at Book Riot are doing. If you tell us more about yourself, you can potentially potentially win an e-reader, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> it's really and it and it's a fun way of doing it too. We're doing a reader survey. It only takes a few minutes, and you can see all the questions and giveaway details at bookriot.com slash 2020 survey. Uh, of course, we're going to link to that in the show notes as well. So you don't have to like pull over and write it down or anything. Just, you know, click into the into our show notes and the survey will be there for you. Plus, it's kind of fun to kind of. I don't know. It's almost like a personality quiz, you know. Oh, nice. Yeah. Feedback. Yeah. Tell us. Tell us what you think. And, um, yeah. yeah. We like to know what you like so that we can gauge your tastes. Mm. And give you give the people what they want, basically. Yes, so, yeah. Check. Um, yeah, so do that. And again, we'll link to that in the show notes. But in the meantime, I mean, while you're thinking about that, um, let's talk about some current affairs in the literary world. 
What do you have for us, Louise? Uh, I have the Black Writers Guild calling for sweeping change in UK publishing. Um, as you might know, I am from the UK and the world of the UK publishing is a very particular thing and it is not necessarily representative or as diverse as it could be, both in issues of uh, racial identity, uh, gender, um, everything, essentially, yeah. class. It, there's a lot of issues that could be addressed and pulled up. And so the Black Writers Guild has come together. This is um, over 100 authors. They've written an open letter to the UK publishing industry calling for sweeping reforms in the industry at all levels. It's been sent to the big five, so that means Hachette, Penguin Random House, HarperCollins, Macmillan, and Simon and & Schuster. And it's asking for a audit of books by black authors, data on black staff across the industry, ring-fenced funding to support and promote black authors, which is such an important thing, like the amount of hoops you have to jump through to get into publishing and being published and the amount of opportunities that are made available to you having that ring fence funding to support and promote and look for your work specifically if you're coming from a black or an underrepresented background is so important uh, and then there's also related to that a commitment to supporting new and developing writers and the fact that there are and this really kind of made me go oof that's a that's a statistic uh, there are no black members on core leadership boards in the UK publishing industry, and they quite rightfully wanted that addressed. Yeah. Um, yes, that makes a lot of all of that makes a lot of sense to me. Mm. Um, I do have a question, though. Go. What does what is ring fenced funding? So it's like a pot of money that is specifically for something and it can't okay. ever be kind of pilfered and. Pilford, I sound like a Dickensian orphan suddenly. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Pilford, it can't be borrowed or so, sort of used for something else. Okay. So basically it's for this um, specific cause and for nothing mm -hmm. else. So you can't kind of uh -huh. say, I'm going to fund for it. Or by the way, this bill needs paying further down the line. I'm going to dip into this pot to pay it. Mm -hmm. You can't like borrow against it because yeah. then it might not come back. I it, got you. It's okay. basically saying like, do the action but do it not just in um word or kind of just saying for it actually do the thing yeah i i like that a lot and i also am really fascinated um not only by uh, minority guilds and publishing although those are very interesting to me of course but uh just the industry itself because i've only published one book it was with an indie press um, i didn't have an agent and it's just so interesting to me how uh how it, it is kind of uh gate kept i guess is the way that i might gatekeeping i'll go phrase for. it yeah because it's like you have to have an agent in order to go to those big five but how do you get that? And then it's like, I don't know. It just seems so it, such a reach for so many authors because, I mean, I, I assume that you are this way as well, but don't let me speak for you. Um, authors are supposed to focus on the actual writing right. of the thing, not the business part of it. So even in MFA programs and stuff, we're taught how to write, but not really how to get money for doing yeah, it. Yeah, you're not taught how to business, are you, I think? No, or at least I wasn't. And I, again, I'm only speaking from one person's perspective, but um, yeah, and I, and I noticed as well, just in my MFA program and I'm publishing throughout, like uh, it's, it's not very diverse. Mm. I think, and I'm conscious of that, being like, you know, I am a white middle class woman. I am symptomatic of, of so many issues in that area. But equally, I can kind of talk from issues of class and location at this point. I grew up in northern England and I'm still there now. And the majority of publishing type positions to work in that industry, you know, I'd have been closer to flying or going to the moon then I would have been able mm. to afford working in an entry-level job in uh, London for example 
Mm -hmm. So yeah, I can certainly talk to it from that level of, of representation. The class and the representation of people from alternative backgrounds is something that I know a lot of people are working on and in many senses it's better mm -hmm. late than never. But equally, making these calls is so, so important. It really is, especially because um, it just seems like most people who read want to read about people who aren't really like them or like in different situations from them. It's not necessarily an escapist thing, but to learn, mm. you know? So it just, and it also, that that's weird. That's just weird that there's no black members on core leadership boards to be addressed. Like you, that didn't just happen. Someone... Someone had that in mind and made it happen. It's, you know? yeah, it's a fairly systematic thing, isn't it? Just to have like yeah. none. You just think, ah, this isn't good in any senses. Right. But I'm glad that it's, um, we're, getting, we're getting calls to like release that data because if you're not releasing the data, there must be something about it that you don't want people to know. Mm, we like data. We like numbers. We like data. I mean, I don't like numbers specifically, but I like <laughs> the synthesized version of the numbers that someone who's good at numbers has has numbers know. accessible to people who don't like numbers <laughs> made but like accessible numbers. to non-numbers <laughs> folks yeah all right yeah. so what did you have for today then okay so um just a, coming from a place of transparency i am here to learn about comics today mm -hmm. i have very work very basic working knowledge of comics and graphic novels um I have a few that I loved that I read and I was researching some of the news around them today because I'm trying to educate myself because I came on here and I wanted to talk to Louise the expert. Uh, but, no, I don't know. Um, about, yeah. You know, I was trying to bring something to the conversation. So uh, I found this article and um, Book Riot is the one who exposed it to me mm -hmm. um, on, on the, in the news of uh, today, the 23rd. Um, Comic book and television writer Kelly Sue DeConnick was a prominent member of the Warren Ellis Forum back in the day, and she met her husband, Matt Fraction, there. Do you know these people? Yeah, so Kelly Sue De uh, DeConnick is Captain Marvel. She's done a lot of work there. Okay. And do you know Matt Fraction as well? I do, yeah. Okay. Um, good. I, I, I knew that they were big names, but I, w I couldn't place them quite, so I was like, I'm going to tell Louise about this, but she's really going to tell me about it, you know? They're big. Okay. So uh, she worked with Warren Ellis on several projects, including writing the Avengers comics, uh -huh. and as a result of last week's revelations, she's been having some tough conversations. Um, yesterday, but I think this was maybe June 20th, I think. She took to Instagram Live with a raw, honest account to express her support of women who have been speaking out, to talk about her guilt that she not only benefited from knowing Warren, while others did not, and she believes as a result that she owes a debt, and is talking about formulating a plan to make comic books less dependent on patronage like other creative industries such as television and novels. And I'm linking to that um, Instagram video that she posted, uh, because... Um, kind of like what we were talking about before, um, so much of publishing in general, but apparently comics especially, is based on who knows you. Yeah. And not necessarily, um, I mean, although I'm sure that those are quality as well, it's not necessarily only a, mer a meritocracy because nothing really is. But she's saying, like, I want to, she wants to pull her weight and making it more so, mm -hmm. which I think is great. What I find really interesting about this is it's kind of the women doing the work mm -hmm. like there's a point i think in much of this where the the white male needs to step up a little yes. bit more than he is so to speak i agree with that statement in so many ways <laughs> and i don't think that it and well let me try to say this in a way that is honest but also uh, does put some responsibility on people who have privilege, which is that it's not your fault that you have the privilege. It's your fault when you don't do your part Correct. to spread it around. Right. And I think while it's not anyone else's job to educate you, um, once if you don't, you don't know what you don't know. So it's kind of on you to go learn about it. Yeah. And when, once you learn about it, do something about mm -hmm. it. There's always something that can be can be done as Kelly Sue is doing here. She's like making that step, mm -hmm. isn't she? 
But I think there's a point where, irrespective of the industries, you kind of have to go, look, Mr. White Man, this is your time to to pop up and do some work as well. I agree. Mm. And I think that also so many people are finally saying like, oh, this is on me, actually. Like it. It might seem like it doesn't affect me directly, but it definitely does, and it affects people that I care about. So we're making small baby steps in the right direction. Yeah. And yeah. It'll be... I think it's good. It'll be interesting to like visit this back in a couple of months or a year and see the progress. Because yes. I hope there's action, and I hope there's movement, and I hope there is um, deliberate action, as I say. Um and not that it's this cycle of making the the calls and not necessarily following through on them. Mm-hmm. And this isn't anything to do with the article that you just mentioned. It's more of an in general, oh, yeah, walk yeah. the I'm walk you. if mm-hmm. you're going to do it. You know, talk it and walk it. Yeah, and it seems like one of the benefits of having everything pretty much shut down, although we are somehow opening things back up already. Oh. Um, but th- But to stay on track and not go down that, wormhole um, <laughs> get your restraint that's very good um oh i'm trying um there's nothing for us to do except for pay attention to this i really like so, that there's nothing for you to do except yeah. pay attention you right know? it's like i can't can't go distract myself with sports or anything like that like i'm just scrolling through twitter and after a while i can't really ignore this you know so hopefully um people are able to follow up more as far as accountability goes mm. because we're not doing nothing else. Oh, quite, yeah. And we, um, I think it's important to say as well with um, touching on the, the, the fact that it's uh, prompted by sexual harassment issues and women speaking out that we support their voices and we respect and admire each one of you that is um, able to do that. Yes, thank you. And... Even though it's not y'all's job to educate everyone else, still thank you for doing it. Mm. You know? Because, yeah, We've, it's just, it's real important and it's hard work. Yeah, it's it's so. not easy and Thanks. respect to all of you. Agreed. Um, I want to learn a little bit about comics. <gasps> yes. From you. All right. Louise. Um, okay comics where do you begin with this when it comes to literary fiction which is something that for so many people can be this kind of learned long dull kind of an old bloke about talking about his feelings um (laughs) you mean literature yeah you know that whole kind of i've got feelings and i want 500 pages to share them with you and you should Mm -hmm. pay attention um how does that like translate into comics, I think, is, is a really good point to start this one off with. But I think to understand that is you need to think about where we, as in Mary Kay and I, are coming from with comics. And I know you said you were still fairly new and coming to this from a place of learning, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yes. I mean, I have some basic working knowledge, but I'm very interested in learning more about them. Yeah. So... um. I, I, I wouldn't say I'm an expert by any means, but I do enjoy reading them and I think they have a really important place to play in um, literary fiction. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk through some references and some books that will hopefully uh, appeal to you if you're in sort of a relatively beginning phase with them. You're not quite sure how they fit into the world of literary fiction mm-hmm. and to... Um, those of you who are more confident, more happy with the form, we'll give you a couple of adaptations of classics and hopefully you'll uh, find something from there. That sounds great. Listeners, come take notes with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, I was thinking about where to begin with comics and I sort of realised that the the first graphic novel I bought, so that is a uh, a collected edition of comics, it was Buffy stuff. Buffy graphic novels in mm. the day were my absolute jam. I know about Buffy. Yeah, see, so um, I got really like <laughs> traumatised when it finished and I'm thinking, I need more Buffy. I don't want to let these stories end. So I went and just kind of read my way through the entire Buffy comics uh, back catalogue and there's a ton 
there and that was kind of my um entry point into them figuring out what they could be what they could do and the power of like holding this film in your hand this untold episode it's it was great it was really um quite a revelatory quite a revelatory moment to um a young book nerd yes i I don't know why these two forms of art never really merged for me it as as they could have but I re- in high school I was all about visual art mm. and then whenever I wasn't in an art class I was reading and I just the two never really exactly merged for me like I remember drawing a couple of things in high school, like for projects and stuff. And I'm being like, oh, this is super fun. But I never put, it never went together for me as much as I wish that it had. So I think in many senses that can be from like the education and the context that you're in at that point. Mm -hmm. We'd just got a new Borders bookstore in town near it to us. And I sort of got the bus through and giddily went to the comic section and it was this whole new other world that had all these kind of forms of story that I'd never really been allowed to 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 read or understand a story because as I say Mm -hmm. like literary fiction and fiction in books it was old it was dull it was the sort of thing that had a bonnet possibly and maybe some petticoats somewhere and (sighs) um an old guy as I say going on about his emotions yeah, that's true. I did read a little bit of manga when I was in high school, but do you think that that can count in this? Or Massively, is that yeah. Separate? I'm not. Um, I don't read much manga myself, really, because I am too um stuck in my ways, and I get really lost in the format. I can't quite figure it out for myself because I am very Anglo-centric in my reading style, and you know that's a failing on on mine. I miss out on a lot of big, big, epic theatrical wonderful manga that way but it's something that I'm addressing and looking at and I do it slowly um and yeah once my library reopens I will be back hugging those shelves and uh finding all right I'm so excited um so can you tell me about these books that you listed about how to understand yeah so like for for people coming at it brand 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 new yeah so comics can be a bit weird as 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 I hope you're um like picking up they can be a bit odd if you don't quite know where to begin with them or what to do so i wanted to recommend uh the work of scott mcleod who wrote two brilliant books one is understanding comics the invisible art and the other is making comics and that's all about comics theory and you'll enjoy it if you're into art visual literacies figuring out how things look on the page and if you've um read and enjoy things like Ulipo, which I know I've talked about in a previous episode, then mm-hmm. you will all also enjoy that. It's all about um, the form and, and playing around with form. And then the other one that I wanted to mention as a kind of introductory text is by Molly Bang, and it's How Pictures Work. And this is less specifically about comics, but more about visual literacy, about understanding what a line can do the colours, the shapes, how they mm-hmm. connect, and the impact that has upon you as a reader. Oh, I'm excited about those. The Molly Bang one is lovely, and the Scott McLeod one is great because he's so um, accessible. Like sometimes theory mm-hmm. can be really, as you'll know, uh, a really dense theory for myself and for no one else, um, kind of thing. Right. But yeah, his Scott McLeod stuff is really good. Okay, so those are those those are where you recommend entering the genre if someone has never. Yeah, to kind of figure out where you are and what's gonna go on. Okay, good deal. Um, before we get into some of our recommendations, let's hear a word from our sponsors who make all of this possible. Today's episode is brought to you by Penguin Young Readers. So this book I'm about to tell you about is giving five worlds meets spirited away realness. It's about a girl fighting her way back home after getting trapped in the spirit world. It follows Anzu, who's moved to a new town during Oban, a time for families to remember and celebrate their ancestors. And ever since her Abachan died, 
Oban has lost its magic. She doesn't feel much like celebrating anymore. So while avoiding holiday festivities, Anzu spots a stray dog down the street, a dog that seems to be staring right at her. So when she chases it, she slips and falls down a bridge, losing consciousness. And when she awakes, she's in the Shinto underworld known as Yomi. The stray dog, she finds out, is actually the gatekeeper of Yomi, and he warns her to return to the human realm before it's too late. Like I said, Miyazaki realness, um, I'm super excited for this. So make sure to pick up Anzu in the Realm of Darkness by Mai K. Nguyen. And thanks again to Penguin Young Readers for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid-back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be, Right. Right, girl, like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series. Miss Wong, gotta go on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. So let's have some recommendations on where to begin and do you want to go first mary Kay, with the one that you, you spotted sure i can um as listeners might remember i adore carmen maria machado Ooh. i think that she is the coolest person and i need to be her friend <laughs> um i was very excited when i saw that she was writing a comic series and it's <sighs> It's so cool. It's illustrated by Danny and it's called The Low Low Woods. And this is just this. I couldn't summarize it any better than this. So I'm just going to read it. When your memories are stolen, what would you give to remember? Follow L and V as they search for answers to the questions everyone else forgot. Shudder to think Pennsylvania is plagued by a mysterious illness that eats away at the memories of those affected by it. Elle and Octavia are two best friends who find themselves the newest victims of this disease after waking up in a movie theater with no memory of the past few hours. It is so fun, and the illustrations are just gorgeous, and I... It's very hard for me to read on screens at all. Mm. Um, I thought I was going to be able to read it on my e-reader, but... um, my e-reader is black and white and I was like, no, oh, I so no. Yeah. Um, so I, wa- I watched it. Wow. It really was so cinematic though, that it felt like I was watching mm. it because I think I read it, um, in maybe one or two sittings. It was beautiful and it made me slow down too. when I was reading it on the computer. Um, wow. so I couldn't read ahead, which is the tendency for me, which actually, you know, I learn kinesthetically, like I learn where things are and that might be the reason I have not fully gone into comics because I will spoil it for myself. Like I'll read ahead. Um, okay. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, I, well, it just clicked for yeah. me. I don't know that that is the truth, but no, I could um, see that being, I could see that working. I mean, I'm the person who, when I turn a page and it's towards the end of the book, has to put my hand over the next page. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> because I, I will spoil it for myself, not intentionally, but because I'm excited. And I listened to Carmen Maria Machado in one of the panels for Book Expo, I believe. I can't, I get BookCon and Book Expo confused, I won't lie. <laughs> um, but it was one of the panels that they were hosting. It was like the author's dinner, a virtual panel, and she was talking about how there were so much that went into that, that or the writing of a comic that she wouldn't have considered because she's a writer of fiction, such as don't put the cliffhanger on the same page, like mm. put the question on the page before and then make them turn the page. And I just identified with that so much because I was like, yes, thank you for thinking of me because <laughs> I'm the person who looks ahead. Um, but yeah, and I, I think it's cool too, because this, uh, 
illustrate some of the representation issues that we were talking about yeah. in our opening. Um, like the two main characters are both queer. So uh, that's something that I am not familiar with in comics. Of course, my scope is fairly limited. Um, and they are both minorities as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and they're both girls, Ooh. which I think is a nice uh, change, uh, I guess. Uh, it changed from regular publishing. I'm not sure if comics are reflected in that way, but based on the news from earlier, I would say that they are. Um, yeah, and I, in case y'all were wondering, the six issues of, of the Lolo Woods are available now, and the compendium or like the graphic novel version releases at the end of September. Nice. They can look forward to yeah. it and build it in. Mm-hmm. Nice. It's, it's really cool. And the ending, because I was scrolling, gave me like an extra satisfaction because I, of the way that that particular image was drawn. Ooh. Yeah. Very You're cool. going to have to stop giving so, me all these massive, like, really great sounding recommendations. <laughs> it's all I do after I finish recording. I just go write them down. Okay, I'll try. <laughs> no, I definitely do recommend that one, though. It was real cool. One of the ones that I wanted to bring into this, and it kind of touches on your point of queer women representation, is a comic that I can hear some of you kind of going, it's not literary fiction, but... I want to kind of argue briefly that it is uh, because it is the story of two women and their love and how it moves through a lifetime and their story of togetherness in a way. And it is Bingo Love by T. Franklin. And I was doing the research for this episode and kind of thinking, as Mary Kay sort of said, um, what are the stories that I want to find here and what are the stories that I want represented and it follows these two women who are beautiful beautiful characters and one is um, a plus size sort of beautiful curvy woman and again that is such a gorgeous thing to be seeing in such a matter of fact Mm -hmm. not sort of tick boxy but kind of seeing her Mm-hmm. And it follows their life and how their love is impacted by sort of political, social pressure, how they are forced apart, in a sense, due to the oppressions that they live under. And the ending made me weep. Like, my goodness, I just had a little moment over it going, this is just a beautiful, beautiful comic. And there will be some of you that go, like, dude, it's not literary fiction. Stop. (laughs) What is this? But (laughs) I want to kind of suggest that maybe sometimes we understand literary fiction as a very narrow, specific thing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we should try things under that umbrella and push them under and see what they think. And when they are a story as good and as wonderful and as beautifully told as Bingo Love is, go ahead, read it and enjoy it and weep over that last page. (laughs) sounds like a good one it's a tree i also wanted to um tie into this as well like classic retellings i don't know have they been ever a comic that you've come across only one and it's the one that i put on here even though i haven't gotten the chance to read it yet Mm -hmm. um but i got so excited when i saw that it was a thing um it's called 1000 nights of hero that is a good good choice yes it's um in the tradition of the arabian nights or a thousand and one nights depending on where you are in the world they have different ti- it has a different title um it's a beautifully illustrated tapestry of folk tales and myths about the secret leg- legacy of female storytellers in an imagined medieval world so it's so good and isabel greenberg is a really um an almost macabre kind of artist like yes, that i know that's why i was thinking i was thinking she's gonna like this um sort of strange deliciously kind of a little bit odd a little bit weird so oh yeah you you that should be good for you well done good choice i have a <laughs> feeling that i'm gonna come out of that book with some new tattoos i just <gasps> feel like that might happen <laughs> but yeah I'm, I'm really excited about that one um and uh kind of to 
double back on your point about retellings. Mm. One one thousand and one nights or the thousand and one nights is retellings. It's that's it's an oral history that uh, of the Middle East and Persia and China that uh, uh, the original guy who wrote it down, his name is escaping me now, but he just heard them and wrote them down. Um, so, yeah, so it's by nature a retelling. Which I think is cool, and I wrote this thing for Book Riot too about the Aladdin series, um, the new one that came out. It was like, is it okay if we retell it? And I was like, yeah, that's kind of the nature of the beast. Uh-huh. So yes, the end. Yeah, and I think a lot of our classic literature, especially the a few that you mentioned on here, and I'm not trying not to give anything uh-huh. away, but they are also oral histories. Mm. Well, let's like go straight in and give it away then i've mentioned um, no i'm like <laughs> let's reveal the secret um i'm gonna go for the odyssey by gareth hines and i'm also mm. going to recommend his beowulf and his romeo and juliet i really love what he does with classic tales he kind of manages to pull them together and remix them and represent them for a new audience his art is really classy. It's the sort of stuff, if you're looking for something to have in schools or work with uh, to show students what it can be, what it can do, the um, the form of the comic, go towards these books because they don't offer just like this beautiful visual experience. They offer a new way into these texts that can often be really dense and restrictive things. Like there's points, you know, right. where you think, uh, like I don't know about you, but... um. What relevance does Beowulf have on my life? Why should I read it? Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, I was thinking of Beowulf specifically as one that was very hard for mm. me to get into. But what he manages to and do. And I would have loved that. Yeah. <laughs> I would have loved if it had pictures. It's so good. I mean, not if it had pictures. I'm minimizing it. But I could have definitely. You want the ways into these, don't access you? That like, that's the thing. Yes. You want to. Um have these stories and there are just certain things that get in the way maybe it's language maybe it's not knowing the full politics of the um or the history of the era so yeah so gareth hines stuff is really really brilliant at opening and unlocking uh those kind of texts i also want to talk about um a book that is i i adore and if you've got kids head towards this Share it with them and all cry over it again. Let's just cry over everything. Uh, it is called... Okay. Let's do it now, together. <laughs> Don't mind if I do. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm going to recommend Meg, Joe, Beth and Amy, which is a retelling of Little Women, and it's by Ray Terciero and Bray Indigo. And it is adorable. It is so beautiful. It is a blended family. Uh, Meg, Joe, Beth and Amy come from different... Um, familial situations and then their parents get together and they all sort of have to live together in the same house they are mixed race they are beautiful wonderful gorgeous characters and their the story of little women is kind of brought up to date it brings in feminism it brings in protest movements activism and it's just wonderful. it's so good Okay, add to cart. Good. <laughs> right, good, well done. I approve. We can stay talking. Okay, good. Um, I think we only missed two. I think. Two recommendations. And one of them we both know, right? Yeah, we wanted to give uh, Marjan Satrapi uh, a shout out. Yes. Because she's yes. brilliant. And I know that, um, I won't spoil your pick of hers, but... um. I picked embroideries, which do bear in mind if you have kids or, you know, um, there is graphic sexual discussion in this and it is not one to read by themselves straight away. Read it yourself first and make the call as the parent or the, the, the carer. Okay. Uh, but it's such, again, these are stories that you don't necessarily see told, but they should be told about sexuality, mm-hmm. life, um, love, relationships. And it's a very simple sort of premise in that it is essentially a group of women talking, but it's just mm-hmm. so witty. Oh, I'm excited for that one. Yeah. I have heard of that, but I 
read volumes one and two of Persepolis. So good. And I feel like school got in the way before I could get to embroideries. Um, but I loved Persepolis. Not only is it so vivid in its images, but also I learned so much about Persian history. Yeah. She really opens up what happened. Yeah. And not even just what happened, but how it affected like a regular person. Yeah. That sort of story. Which is, I think. Right. And I think that's why for me, history didn't really take. Mm. Because I was like, you're not telling me the story of it. You're just telling me the facts of whatever happened. And this one made it take. And in many ways, people kind of tell you the facts that they want you to know. So, yeah, you have to work through so much discourse. We were discussing this on on, um previous show, weren't we, about the stories that you're told in history and in education. And the way that Mm -hmm. they are told to you can exclude so many other things. Mm -hmm. But Persepolis is just a masterpiece. Yeah, I really love that one. Wait, what's this? What's this one? Freedom Hospital? Yeah, so that is the last one that I wanted to mention. And oh, oh no, I'm wait, sorry. No, there's two more. <laughs> Gosh, we've got loads here. Um, so I wanted to mention two more books, which are okay. the first one is Freedom Hospital, and that is uh, subtitled A Syrian Story, and it's by Hamid Suleiman. And it's translated by Francesca Barry. Hamid is a Syrian writer who now lives in France. And this was his first graphic novel. It was set in 2012 Syria amidst the... um, Oh dear. Yeah, amidst the political conflict, the war, all the horrific situation that people were living in at that time. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's set in a freedom hospital in a kind of incognito, covert hospital to um, help people. It is minimalist artwork. It's kind of quite impressionistic in some senses. It reminded me a lot of the, um, do you know the uh, the ink blot tests? Yes. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of those visually. Oh, that kind of loose, you see what you want to see kind of artwork. Mm-hmm. And But it's really wow. big on detail and context and history. And so it ties into your point about um, Persepolis in that it shows you the human cost of what these conflicts, uh, the, the cost of them. I would love to read that. I actually, the only time I've ever been to Lebanon, my, my heritage is Lebanese, but I've only been once and it was um, just as the Syrian conflict was beginning. Mm. Like it, it spilled over some and then, you know, we left in the nick of time, but also without any time to <laughs> actually help. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for that one. I mean, excited in the way that I'm excited to learn about it, not, you know. No, yeah, I get that. It sounds horrific, but uh, but also like an important story, especially because it um, is happening. I mean, 2012 is when it all kicked off, right? Yeah, so it's very immediate and in many senses. Again, this is a story that isn't really represented. So it won, right. um, I think it was the English Pen Award, which is kind of human rights wow. focused narratives and looking at the stories that people can tell um and should be able and allowed to tell um it's just such a good smart and it's kind of it's horrific at points it's awful but it is really important and yeah i think it's one that really fits into the show oh yeah it sounds yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. Um, mine is also horrific, but also funny. It's called Bites of Terror, or my next pick, I should uh-huh. say. Uh, Bites of Terror by Cuddles and Rage, which is a web comics um, team. Uh-huh. The, we- the web comic creators Liz and Jimmy Reed curate and compose a quote-unquote gleefully macabre collection of 10 stories. And that is the best qualifier I could give this book. Um, The frame story is like Tales from the Crypt, and it takes us through episodes of Treats with Gruesome Ends. Uh, My my personal favorite from from those ten is the one of a strawberry that gets diagnosed with very contagious mold and who will not stay inside. Wow, But insists on going for one more swim. Right, and it came out just in in March, so very relevant. Uh, plus, the title of one story 
made me gasp aloud. It's called deviled egg. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what's going to happen? Um, but it's, it's super fun. The stories are really inventive and it's, I don't know that it's clay, but they're panoramas that are sculpted and then t- and photographed. Oh, nice. And then put, yeah, it's really gorgeous. And it's so detailed and they're fascinating and they're darkly hilarious. And I can only relate that particular mood to either the Nightmare Before Christmas or the Adams Family. Ba-ba-da-bum. Where it's like, oh. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> where, where it's like, you shouldn't be joking about these things, but it's so funny, mm. you know, like when Wednesday Adams, pl- like they're playing with their baby brother, but really they're just like trying to torture him. <laughs> but I mean, it's nothing that intense in this book, but that's Bites of Terror by Cuddles and Rage. Excellent. You see, look, all this about like not reading yeah. comics and you're trotting out some amazing references. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just didn't feel, I knew I wasn't an expert, so I didn't want anyone listening to think that I was. No, I think it's cool. We're all like learning and figuring it out, aren't we? Um, That's the whole point of life, yeah. right? Or one of them. I feel like, hmm, one yes, point. life. Um, mm. So the last one that um, for this sort of discussion of comics is kind of the one that prompted this idea for the show in um, today's episode. And it's called Here by Richard Maguire. And it is a uh, a wordless story of a room throughout time. So each double page spread, and by that I mean the two pages as you look at them, as you open um, the book, um, mm-hmm. and as, as you flick through the left and the right. I've explained that really poorly, so forgive me. Um, no, I got good, it. Good, good, good. <laughs> I was like, could I make this more heavy work? Yes, I could, clearly. <laughs> um, so the double page spread, each double page spread has a outline of a room on it throughout time. Um, so you see it in like the year dot, you see it in the year 2020, you see it in the year 1916, and you see it before it's built into a house, you see it in kind of like this prehistoric wow. landscape where it's just surrounded by swamps, for example. You see it surrounded by trees and uh, indigenous peoples. You see it lived in over Christmas by families. You see it throughout time, this very particular wow. point. And there are no words in it. It's completely um, wordless. That's the worst thing I've ever said. <laughs> <laughs> it's completely wordless. Well, the pictures tell the, the story. The pictures do tell the story. Um and it is such a powerful, strong exploration of what this place can be, like the human qualities about it and how we make the places that we live in and the stories that we tell within them. People live, they love, they laugh, they die, they move on. People move out, people move in, and the world just keeps going. And here just focuses on that very particular rhythm of what this point in time is. and. It is intensely literary and it is intensely eloquent. Um, yeah, and it's it's just a very, very good, clever, big book. I'm really excited for that one. I'm, I said that about all of them, <laughs> I think. But you just have really good taste, Louise. I, know, I was like, I'd saw, I, I, I saw that. I'd seen that in um, <laughs> the library once. So I was like, this is brilliant. And it actually made me go out and purchase it, which is a rare thing. Uh so I was like, yeah, we've got to have a copy of this. It's just so good. It's like artwork, you know, every spread right. that you see, you just want on the wall. Wonderful. Mm. Yeah, normally when I'm reading literary fiction, the marker for me is that I want to underline the whole thing. <gasps> yeah. It's like, yeah, I need to have my own. I need to have a copy of this. All right. So um, I think that it'll do. For, that's a fair good amount of comics to start off with, right? Right. And then you have uh, some more suggestions. Yeah, here. we're going to link to this in the show notes, which is graphic novels for people who like literary fiction. It's an article on Book Riot made by one of our colleagues. Um, and it just gives you some more reading suggestions on where to go and what to look for. Cool. And we'll link to that as well so you don't have to hunt for it. You can just click right through. Hey. And Louise, tell me what you are reading now. So I'm reading, um, well, actually, I got to go into a bookshop the other week, which was some sort of dazzling, <gasps> unusual, wonderful Magic. moment in my life. 
Um, and I picked up a copy of The Year of the Runaways by Sanjeev Sahota, which is a novel that was shortlisted for the 2015 Booker Prize. And it is about immigrant life in northern England. It's the stories of a group of migrant workers, three men and a woman. And it is, again, touching on a theme that pops up a lot uh, in today's show. It's about the big political issues that are made human and real and lived stories as opposed to big old political statements. Cool. It's really smart. And are you liking it so far? I am, yeah. It's really nice to see... um, areas that i know and areas that i can sort of visualize in a book and again these aren't necessarily represented in um much literature so it's it's good to see them Mm -hmm. what about yourself what are you what are you on um so i'm reading bunny by mona awad uh this book was recommended to me by a bookstore in charlotte north carolina called park road books i had to give them a shout out because i went in looking for helen oyayemi they were sold out, and the woman who was working there said, "If you like gingerbread, then you have to read this one." Okay. And it, the, I, she recommended it to me back in like February, but I'm just now reading it, and I can't put it down. It, so far, it perfectly encapsulates the weird, forced intimacy of a mostly women MFA oh. program. And I can already tell that there's going to be some kind of fairy magic at work, and I just cannot wait to see. How it goes down. <laughs> so, I'm loving it so far. Yeah. Um, where can they find you online, Louise? Yeah. Um, so thank you everyone for listening. Um, you can find me online at didyouoverstoptothink.com and I am at Chalet Fan on Twitter. And I'm MaryKMcBrayer.com, but also on Twitter at MKMcBrayer and Instagram at MaryKMcBrayer. It's just my name all the way down. Like if you just type it into the URL, I'll pop right up. (laughs) So um, thank you all so much for listening. This was, I I learned a lot. I'm excited. I got a lot of new recommendations and I hope y'all enjoyed and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. We will. Bye-bye.